The district church exists to make disciples by interrupting people's lives with love because the gospel changes everything. To learn more about the district church and for ways to give to support resources like this, visit thedistrictchurch.com. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for these words. For endless days, we will sing of your praise. God, our lives, and our, we live so momentarily. We look to small things that oftentimes mean nothing. And we cannot even imagine, God, we can't imagine a thousand days singing your praise, much less endless days, eternity into the presence of our King. And as that is what is before us, as that is what has been brought with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, if that is what we have, would it mean something to us? Would it matter to us? Would the reality of singing your praise constantly and eternally, would, would we see that? Would you give us some type of category and framework to understand what that even means? And would we believe it? Would we desire it? Would we want that, God? Would we want to stop singing the praises of the things in this present age and cling to things that are eternal, cling to things that are good, cling to things that are God? Give us that hunger, because for many of us, it is not right now. We are praising so many other things that mean nothing, that are going to fade, that may not even be a reality there may be anxieties and stress of things that may never even come to fruition. And we put so much on them. You do. I do. But you do not, God. God, you do not. And so would you show us that? Show us what is of most importance today. Give us eyes to see it and a, and a mind to discern it and a heart to care for it. Hands and feet to live in that way. In your name, we all say, amen. You guys can have a seat. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at the district church. Let me ask a question. If you, um, if you came here, say you're a mom or maybe you're a grandmother and you got some kids up this morning and brought them to church, can you raise your hand? Just you, by yourself, by yourself, by yourself. If by yourself you got some kids up and brought them here this morning, raise your hand. Praise God for you. If you're a guy, if you're a grandfather or a dad and you got some kids up by yourself and brought them here this morning and you don't have to be single, maybe if someone's working, raise your hand. Praise God for you. Come on, Rick, sit down. That ain't you, Rick. Let's honor them. Can we do that? Can we honor the men and women who have taken? Um, I got a text from, my, from Holly. My wife is one of them. Holly had the, the job of getting kids up by herself, feeding some pigs, feeding some horses. The pigs are not the kids. The kids were still sleeping. The kids would not get up. And she had to make chili for the group leaders lunch today. And she's texting me, the kids won't get up. You know, guys, it's hard. And I get that. I get that. And I just want to honor you and say, thank you for doing it. Thank you for, for making it a conscious effort and putting in the work to do this. And for the rest of us, understand that this is special, that we're together. This is special. We're gonna look at the church today and one of the greatest things that we have and, and what makes us the church is togetherness and is, and is gathering. And in Hebrews 10, 25, it says not to neglect that. Do not neglect being together. And then the other part of that is um, to encourage one another. So I just wanna encourage you, as that text says. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for being here. This is special. We're moving into um, 
a sermon series that will uh, go on for the next seven weeks, and it's called Ecclesia. Um, for seven weeks, we are gonna be looking at Ecclesia. After these seven weeks, we'll enter into March. Four weeks of March will be the life, death, burial, and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna spend all of March, we're gonna be providing resources to take from this room into our homes to figure out ways how we are to live like Jesus. What, what ways do we need to die as Jesus died? What does the resurrection mean to us and celebrating that in a massive way on um, Resurrection Sunday for Easter. And so in our sermon series through Ecclesia, we are saying this, illuminate the church, illuminate the church. Ecclesia, uh, a theological definition of this word would be a gathering or be of believers or the church. Ecclesia would be gathering of believers or the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word church in this verse is translated in Greek to be ekklesia. So ekklesia, we believe, is the closest thing we have to what Jesus is saying here. And so the word um, ekklesia is also used by the apostles throughout the New Testament 112 times. And in their usage of this word, they are, but they're not limited to describing those who belong to the Lord. It's a, it's a greater description than just alone those who belong to the Lord, the ekklesia. In this, in this series, we're saying, illuminate the church. God, illuminate the ecclesia. Show us your plan. Show us what you mean when you use the word ecclesia. What did you mean? Show us that. Show us your plan, your purpose, and your design for the church. We're going to be looking at different aspects and, and looking at our culture. Again, where um, Greg said the foundation, we're gonna be looking at today the gathered church. How does a gathering of believers, this room, have anything to do with, with what Jesus means when he says, I will build my ecclesia? How does um, our groups have anything to do with it? Our giving, our going, how do men, how do you have anything to do with building the kingdom of God when Jesus says, I will build my church? What's your role in that? Women, how do you have anything to do with what Jesus is saying? And then discipleship, how does discipleship play a role in that? So that's what we're gonna be looking at January and February. We're going to be using the book of Ephesians to study that, the book of Ephesians. Um, usually what we do and how we study the Bible is a line-by-line -line exegetical understanding of the text. So we'll go from the front to the back and we'll look at it and digest it and break it apart, understanding the, the context of how it was written, who wrote it, why they wrote it, and then trying to apply it and place it in our world and life today. That's what we do with the Bible. During this series, it's gonna be a little bit different. We're not doing a line-by-line -line exegetical theological study of the Bible. Instead, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get into the mind of the author. We're trying to understand um, who, who wrote this, why did they write it, and how, why did they use the words they used? How did they think in this way? And really trying to adopt or sit under the understanding of the author so that we could see the church in the way that, that they saw it. Um, the book of Ephesians, uh, well, let's start here. I would love for you to take notes. I know that's hard for some of us. I'm the worst note taker, so I get it. But I would love for you guys, as we're moving through this, I'm gonna jump into maybe a 15, 20 minutes just blast of Ephesians and um, what we find to be the theme of Ephesians that we're going to be focusing on. I would love to have, for you to have something in your phone or that you're writing down some way to be able to take notes of just things that might stand out to you. 
um, you will hear and find things in this text that I don't. You'll see things in this text that I don't. And so hold on to those things. Hold on to what you do learn today and let's allow it to, to carry with us out of this room and into our homes and workplaces and grow us even more. So please join me as we, as we study this and go into it together. Paul is the author of this letter. If this first thing you wanna write is Ephesians and Paul, that's fine. Paul is the, letter, uh, the author of this letter and it's, written, it's, it's believed to be written to numerous churches throughout this valley of Ephesus. What we see in other writings from Paul, Paul was an apostle, and what we see in some of his other writings um, is sometimes a more intimate approach to maybe the church of Philippi or Thessalonica. And there's intimate details connecting Paul to those people. We don't have a lot of that in this text. And so what we see is Paul is writing to a general group of churches. And so it's easy for us to include ourselves in that. Um, jumping to a brief bio about Paul. What was Paul's original name? That's right, Saul. He was a Roman citizen. Who knows where he was from? Who said it? Nice, Jerry. He's from Tarsus. Yeah, he was from Tarsus, a place in Turkey. Paul lived at the same time or around the same time of Jesus. And uh, he was a very, a very well-educated man, one of the few who knew how to read and write at this time. Paul studied and understood the Jewish law. He was very uh, fluent in Hebrew and he knew the Hebrew Bible very well, um, very familiar with um, the Torah, which would be our first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He was a devout Jew and as many others, as many other Jews, listen, he had a very specific understanding of how God's promises would be fulfilled to his people. Paul saw it in a certain way. He studied, he worked hard to make sure he was right. Paul had an understanding of how God's promises would be fulfilled and also how the kingdom of God would come, okay? This is how Paul, this is how the Pharisees, this is how they all, they all saw it to come, to come about. There was a present age that existed. That present age would then come to an end uh, with a new age in what the scripture talks about. All of the Old Testament prophets point to that new age coming to an end with who? The Messiah. Yeah, the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be the one who brings an end to this present age and ushers in a new age. Um, they believed that, that, was, that this was going to be explosive, that there was going to be an eruption um, of this taking place. And what would happen is that the injustices done to God's people would be met with justice. From the curse of sin would come freedom. From death would come life. All the Old Testament prophets pointed to this happening and it was going to happen through the Messiah. We just celebrated Advent and we celebrated this coming King, Jesus the one who came to fulfill all of these promises. But there was a problem. Paul had this massive conflict. The conflict was that the new age was not there. So here they have this man who proclaimed to be the Messiah, but he did not bring what they expected him to bring. Make, make sense? Are we tracking? Right, that was the big problem. The big Jewish problem is that Jesus did not bring what God said he was going to bring. All of these things were still here. And so people looked at Jesus, they expected this man, who, they saw this man who proclaimed to be the Messiah and these things were not happening. And Paul knew that very well. So Paul began persecuting those who confessed their faith in Jesus and killing them. We see that in the Bible. We see Paul say that of himself. I'm the least. Have you seen what I've done? So that was Paul's life. 
Paul was around 30 years old. I know this is fast. Make some notes if you hear something that maybe tickles your ear. Around 30 years old, Paul has a warrant in his hand from the high priest. He's on the road to Damascus to go and arrest those who are followers of Jesus. On that road to Damascus, Paul's life changed forever. And not only Paul's life, but our world would change forever from the teachings that came from the apostle Paul. And on that, on that road, the scriptures call it apocalyptic. An apocalypse happened. An apocalypse is just a word for a revelation. There was a revelation that occurred to Paul. That revelation was Jesus Christ. And we see that in Galatians 1, 16, 17. Paul says, God revealed his son to me. And so Paul's conflict was in met with Jesus as the reality of a true Messiah. We also see in Galatians what happened next. Paul goes away for three years to Arabia. Follow me, I know this is a lot. All this happens to Paul. This is Paul, this happens. Paul goes away to Arabia for three years. In those three years of Arabia, this is really where Paul's theology or further, Paul's Christology came together. His understanding of who Christ is in three years. So we'll see throughout Ephesians, this word appears, mystery, because it very well was a mystery to Paul and, and to Paul's people. And he's saying that something was missing. This revelation had not yet come. My apocalypse had not come. It had not taken shape in my life or in any of my people's life. Throughout history, we were missing this. And the revelation of this mystery was Jesus Christ. We see that all through Ephesians, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the kingdom of God, the new age has now been ushered in through the life of Jesus Christ, his life, his death and his resurrection. The new age has been ushered in. I, I, I want to, I don't want to miss this text. I feel like I might have already. We'll get there in a second. Let me, let me, let me try to, try to help us with this. Paul, Paul had such a deep knowledge. I know this is a lot. Paul had such a deep knowledge of God and such an intimacy with God that I think we have, we don't even have categories in our mind to place the things that Paul talks about. We don't even have places or boxes to put Paul's experiences and understandings of God into. Understand that. There's barriers and there's inabilities to understand things like grace, election, predestination, powers, and principalities. And sometimes even the words that we have to use do not even do justice to fully explain Paul's understandings. You get that? Sometimes the words we have to use. I think Paul might look at the way that we, we would understand or talk about these things, like God's grace and, and, and um, his predestination or election. And we would say things that it's God and it's us. It's God working and it, it, it's us working. We see it in maybe two different ways where Paul had an understanding where it's like, no, it's both. You're, you're not seeing it right. You don't get it right. And we have to be very, 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 very careful not to make Paul and the scriptures prove our point. Hear that. As we study this text, we have to be very, very careful not to stay inside of our box and try to make Paul prove us right. Try to make the scripture prove our point of view right. We need to get vulnerable, all right? We need to come to a place where we could really look at the text and just decide to live underneath what it says. Think about it in this way. We have a great inability to describe God through the English language. Have you ever thought about that? 
we have an extreme inability to describe God through the English language. There are 7,139 languages that exist on this globe. And in all of those languages, we are still unable to put the words, the fullness of God. We are still in any language. There will never be a language that is fully able to put the words, the fullness of God. Do you understand that? Do you understand the handicap that we have in our English language to describe God? And it is not because our language is not enough. It's because God is so much God that in our words, God is so much greater than our words can even pronounce. So we have to understand that as we wrestle with words, especially in Ephesians, as we're gonna be studying Ephesians for seven or eight weeks, we're gonna find words that we're just, we just wanna run from it. We don't know what that means. We don't wanna reckon with that. And we have to be very, very careful of our language and not putting that above God. There's a theme throughout the book of Ephesians and it's going to be our main focus throughout this series and it's found in what Ben read, Ephesians 1.10. You can write that down, Ephesians 1.10. And Paul, uh, Paul says this. There's a couple translations that I have pulled from and, and put this together to say, God's plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth unto himself through Christ. That's gonna be our theme and seeing God's plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth unto himself through Christ. Part of the mystery being revealed has been God's will through time to bring about his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ, to bring about the redemption through his son, bring about forgiveness through his son, new life through his son, the ecclesia being built through his son. That's been his plan and purpose. And so now Paul has his apocalypse Paul has this new revelation and this new understanding. And um, I've worked hard to try to get there. And I would love us, I would love you to join me in that. And so I've put together these slides that we're gonna work through. Might be weird, that's okay. But I want us to try to see it in the way that Paul sees it. And so I believe this is how Paul sees it now. We have this age. Okay, so here we are in this age and the things that exist in our present age, we could call this the age of existence, okay? Let's go to school for a second. Everything that has ever existed, where you are, where your grandparents have been, where the apostles in the Old Testament was written from, this present age, we're still in it. It still exists. Guess what? Even right now, we're still there. We're still here, we're in it. In this present age exist these things, Evil and sin, death, slavery, curse, violence, that exists in this present age. Then there is the age to come that has been prophesied about, that has been pointed to in the age to come. This is the new heavens described as the new earth. In that we see justice, life, freedom, blessing. So you see a contrast here. From evil and sin, there's justice. From death, what is there? There's life. From slavery and curse, there's freedom. From violence and, and there's love and there's blessing. And ultimately in that new heaven and earth is God. And so if you know anything about God, nothing can exist within God's presence that is not holy, that is not just, that is not pure, that is not right. So naturally there is a separation from our present age and from the age to come. This is what wrecked Paul. He didn't see it. We move on and what Paul sees now as a new creation, he writes about. We'll see that, new creation through Ephesians. Through his apocalypse or revelation is that Jesus is the real Messiah. And we see almost in this way, 
there's been a ushering in of justice, life, love, blessing, freedom into this present age. And with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we also have the promise of Jesus's return. This is called an inaugurated eschatology. It's a way of understanding the, the, the end times. And so what this means is that the life of Jesus has brought about the kingdom of God. The life of Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. Think about it in this way. Our reality is here, our present age. The kingdom of God is here. With the life of Jesus, these have come together and there is an overlapping. Our reality exists right now within the presence of God, right? His kingdom coming in our present age. Brought by Jesus Christ. And so then where does the church exist? The ecclesia exists in this common ground middle space where we are not apart from this present age. We're still here. We are still here. But yet we are experiencing through Christ the garden growing again. The kingdom coming now. Now in an inaugurated eschatology, there is not full completion of that until what? What brings about the full kingdom of God? The return of Jesus Christ, right? And so we see it in this way. We could be here, okay? The present age and the age to come. They've come together through the life of Jesus Christ. And what is happening through the work of God is that the kingdom of God is coming and it's coming and it's coming. And Satan only has so much time if you read anything from Revelation. And there will be a time where Jesus comes back with the fullness of the kingdom of God and the present age and everything that is dead here will die for good. It will be put away. And the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth will reign forever. Do you understand that? We need to see that because in contradiction to Paul's thinking, we often think like if you grew up in any church like I did, some glad morning, when this life is over, I will fly away and I'm gonna leave all of this behind. We gotta leave that because the kingdom of God is coming now. It's not hold your breath until it comes. It's take a breath and get back to work because he's doing it. And if you're the ecclesia, you're a part of it. He's using you. And so we have to understand it in this way. We sit in the middle of, of seeing God's kingdom coming. We see this when we read when we read Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer, man, reading with this understanding, reading this text changes my life. When Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, what does he ask for? First thing he asks for, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. He knew what he was doing. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus standing there teaching these men to pray and then says, now hold your breath and watch what I'm about to do. I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring the kingdom. He knew what he was doing. He taught those men to pray that your kingdom would come and then he went and did it. He brought it. I read this text knowing and like the understanding of Jesus's mind that he knew he was about to answer the prayers he put on those men's lips. And then he gave that to us and said, keep praying it, keep praying it because I'm gonna keep doing it. I'm bringing about my kingdom. And we see in Luke 17, 20, the same imagery that is believed by the Pharisees. So just supporting this, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? You're here, Luke 17, 20 through 21. If you wanna write that down, Luke 17, 20 through 21. The Pharisees say, when will the kingdom of God, when, 
Pharisees asked when the kingdom of God would come and Jesus answered them. And he said, the kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What a beautiful reality. And so as we sing this song, Build Your Kingdom, this is gonna be a song that we are going to sing throughout these seven weeks. And as we are singing this song, Build Your Kingdom, what we are not saying is we are not saying, God, would you, would you start doing that now? I haven't seen it. And so can you just start building your kingdom, please? That's not what we're saying, but what we are saying is, God, I believe that you are going to answer the prayers you asked us to pray. I believe you're gonna do it and I don't want you to do it without me. Can I see it happen? Can I be a part of it happening? Can I touch it? Can I taste it? Can I see it? Can I taste and see? That's what we are saying is, is build your kingdom. Do it and use me to do it. Do it here and now. Build your kingdom. Rewrite everything that is broken. Build your kingdom now. That's what we're asking God to do. And specifically, we're asking God today, how the ecclesia, how the church has anything to do with it. So this is sort of an intro into our series, building your kingdom, allowing us to see your kingdom come before we move on to look at the gathered church and how the church specifically gathered together plays a role in the building of God's kingdom. Let's address the need. Let's always try to address the need and let's look at what is in contradiction to God's kingdom coming. As we saw in this area, Right? Jesus' intention and desire was to bring about the kingdom of God and is to do that through his church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. That's happening. And so what is in contradiction to that? And we go back to Genesis, the beginning of creation in the form of a garden. And we see Satan, who was an, an enemy to God. And Satan entered in in the objective to bring Sin and separation, he wanted Adam and Eve, those who God loved, those who God created, removed from his presence, unable to see, unable to experience God and his nature, his love, his grace, his kindness, and his mercy, and sin did that. Sin did just that. Let me say this. Sin does not remove God. Understand that. Sin does not remove God. You might need to write that down. What sin does is it removes us from the presence of God. Sin has no power over God. Sin will not remove God from you. That's not what you're doing. You are taking yourself from the goodness. You are taking yourself from the garden. Understand what we're doing when we choose sin. We are saying, I want this more than God and I'm stepping away from God. Sin has no power. We see that in Ephesians 1 Two, chapter one, verse 22, where Paul says, all things are in subjection to Jesus. They're under his feet. Sin has no power over God, has power over us. And so Satan's plan has not changed. He wants to do the same thing today. God loves you. God desires you. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. And he wants you to be in his kingdom and in his presence to be known by him and Satan hates that. He hates it. And so we see the same attack today, the same disruption, the same work being done to remove us, to confuse us, to distract us. And sin is so disgusting, it knows no bounds at all. And it enters into your personal lives and your private lives, into your emotions, into your family, your wants, 
your proposed needs and your desires, fooling us to reach for things to be satisfied that are momentary, unfulfilling, things that are not good and things that are not God. And sin is so disgusting that it knows no bounds. Call it what it is. Don't be afraid to call it what it is. Our world sugarcoats it and we put labels on it and we attach it to identities and that's wrong. Call it what it is. Sin has no bounds. It wants your children. It wants your mom. It wants your dad. It wants your husband and your wife, your friends. I love my dog and I'll say sin hates my dog because I love my dog. I don't like sin. But God had a plan and his plan was to get us back to what was good and that was the garden. And the garden is growth and the garden is life. The soil is rich with hope and greater than all, God is in the garden. God is there. In 1 John chapter 1, 5, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Nothing but true pure, authentic, holy, just, righteous goodness exists in the garden. You might not even have a box for that. Where do you put that? It has been so long since we have seen anything of a garden. We are so far removed and it is hard for us to even understand or think about what a kingdom of God looks like in our life, what the garden feels like to experience a life apart from sin. But God's plan is to restore us to himself and to get us back to the garden. And as we see, as Paul screams at us through the text of Ephesians is that he's done it. The mystery is being unveiled through his son, Jesus. And it was his life. It was his death. It was his resurrection and the new age is being ushered in. And with that new age comes new creations in the ecclesia, the church. So understanding where the church lies, let's go a little further and let's define the church. What is the church? And we'll define it in this way. The church is a gathering of God's creations made new through Jesus Christ. Please write that down. This is where we're gonna focus on a number of things from. The church is a gathering of God's creations made new through Jesus Christ. New creations, write that down. New creations. If you are in Christ, if there's a moment in your life where you have tasted and seen whatever it looked like and, and you've confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart, and you take a step in obedience to say, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. I believe in you and I'm gonna follow you. You are a new creation. You are made new in his likeness. The church is filled with new creations. As we talk about getting into Paul's head, the author of this letter, and to adopt his understanding in God's plan, when we talk about the church, Paul is talking about those who are new creations in Christ. Ephesians 4, we'll see this. Write that down and take some time studying it this week. Ephesians 4. At the back of Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about the new life. You'll see it in your Bible. It says the new life. And in the new life, Paul uses words like Gentiles. Just use Gentiles as a way to say others, those who are not believers, those who are not followers. They would say those are Jew and Gentile, those who are of Christ and those who are not of Christ. And, and Paul gives a contrast of what that looks like. It's good for you to know because sometimes you don't look like Christ. Y'all get um, around me in a car. You see what Christ don't look like. I'm an intentional driver. I got a purpose. I'm trying to go somewhere. 
And I try my best to listen and look at signs and see what they want me to do, but I got stuff to do. Sometimes we not, come on. Sometimes we don't look like Christ. Sometimes we don't look like a new creation. And it's good for us to know. So see what Paul says in this in 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, were taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Let me tell you this. If your parents raised you in church, if your grandparents raised you in church, praise God for that. You are not a new creation. That does nothing. That does not make you a new creation. Jesus makes you a new creation. If you got good vibes and good energy and you're morally sound and you wanna do the best for your family, set themselves up well, set yourself up well, that's great. You are dying. Your soul is decaying. You are not a new creation. Christ is what makes us a new creation. If you come to church to gather here for whatever it might be and you treat this place as a club, it doesn't matter. Being here does not make you a new creation. It's Christ. And so we need to have this understanding. I think one of the greatest tools the enemy does is fool people into believing that they belong to something they don't belong to just because you walk through the doors of a church. I can't stand country songs when they sing about how Mamaw brought them to church. And what, praise God for that. But what did Jesus do when you were there? What did he do? Thanks, Jackie. I'm gonna get you a gift card. What did he do? What did he do? Like, that's great. Praise God. We honored as we started those mothers and fathers and grandmothers who are doing that work. But when we come here, we're handing it off to Jesus and say, now you do something. What are you gonna do? Because this is all I can do about it. We focus on the work that Jesus has done to make us a new creation. We are new creations. The church is not a building. It's not these windows and walls. Praise God for that. And when we move to Murray Hill, it's not gonna be a new set of windows and walls. That's not what it is. The church, the ecclesia, Jesus did not build all of this and Paul is not screaming about this for a building. That's not what the ecclesia is. It's not people simply gathering in, in, into a building. It's not a common interest. It's so much more and it's so much greater. Understand this. The church is so much greater than any establishment that has ever existed. Puts the queen to shame. Anything. You bring whatever franchise you want. It doesn't touch the church and it never will. It will outlast. The church will enter into eternity with the head of Jesus Christ and the work he's done on the cross. Everything else is gonna fade. It's gonna fade. It's gonna die. There's nothing greater existed throughout time. As we look at this text in Matthew where Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. I've talked about this before and I love studying this. Throughout Egypt, there was the God Pan and that's who Pharaoh and everyone in Egypt worship and the God Pan was believed to be the God of nature. And so they believed all of their life came from that. Their flocks were produced by that. Um, their fertility came from the God Pan. And so they worshiped him. Herod had a temple built in the exact location. There's still a stone that sits in the spot where Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Essentially what Jesus says is, I know what happened here. 
I know what you think this is. I know that, and, and what do we know about Pharaoh, right? The, all of the contradictory to, to, to Egypt and to God's people when Moses was coming to free them and all of the powers that were fighting each other, right? They would do something and God would show of himself and then they would respond with their power, showing that their God is just the same. So this is almost God putting a check mark on that and say, you thought there was power. Let me build my church and I'll show you power. I'll show you power and it's going to be from my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church and I'll show you what power is. And that's what we see in that rock in Caesarea Philippi. The next part of the church being defined is gathered. New creations gathered, made new, gathered through Christ Jesus. There's two types of church. I'm trying to move fast, guys. I got a lot. I got like 17 more pages of notes. There's two, two areas of the church. There is the universal and there is the local. Big C church. That is all of the new creations globally that have ever lived, that may have passed. All of them gathered unto Christ at his return. That's the ultimate universal church gathered together. Then there's the localized church. Many churches throughout our town and world are localized church. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, 18 to 23, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, it talks about new creations, but we also see the church being referred to as the body, the body of Christ. And this is a very profound and, um, and somewhat systematic way of designing and describing the body of, of Christ, the church. And it says it in this way, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know and, 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 and as we, sorry, as, as we walk through this, let's listen to some of this stuff that we're learning. Let's think about the new age. Let's think about new creations. Let's think about the church because Paul has all of that in mind as he's writing this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. We learned something. We made new. We had an apocalypse. We had a revelation like Paul did that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? We've been gathered, we're new creations. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We see those blessings of the new kingdom coming and, 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 and us being partakers in them. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who would believe according to the, the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, far above all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who, fought, who fills all in all. Y'all remember when like a finger showed up in the KFC French fries? Is that just me? Y'all don't go to KFC? Okay. I have it at Wendy's too, if you didn't know that. A finger shows up. Well, it comes on the news. It doesn't show up that a body showed up in a French fry basket. It's a finger. If there's an arm laying on the floor, it's an arm. But when there is a body, what is it? Together. It's together. It is not a body if it's not together. Gathering together means so much in, God, in, in, in Paul and in God's design, in Paul's idea and in God's design of the church. Um, last, last year, at the end of the year, our staff took time together and we sat down and we looked at the past 10 years of our church and we looked at um, all the things that have come about in the past 10 years through moving multiple locations. And we looked at what, did, what has God blessed us with? 
Um, and what exists in our church that, that we brought in and that needs to go away, that needs to be cut off, especially in looking to Lakeshore. And it's probably appropriate for us to do a lot. If you're a new creation in Christ and you're not constantly surveying yourself and seeing where, what am I dragging along into this new thing and how can I cut it off, that needs to happen. If you're not maybe ending some of your weeks or months or years by saying, what am I bringing into this new creation that is not supposed to be a part of this new creation and cutting it off, it needs to happen. We had the opportunity to do that as a church. And um, what, we, what we found is that we went from 10 years ago, junior league, three years at junior league, moved to Lee High School, five years at Lee High School, moved to 600 King, a warehouse where we did almost a year of online gathering throughout COVID. And then we come here to Lakeshore Next, we'll move to a location in, in Murray Hill. As we looked at Lee High School, when we got to that place, um, I have this documented. We have loads of stuff of just blessing and culture and DNA that God has built and assembled in our church through the obedience of his people. We get to Lee High School and it looks something like this. In our five years at Lee High School, this is what we saw. We saw community in our church. We saw our people had a love for the neighborhood and for people. We saw passion for the unchurched. There was a closeness. And families began to grow. The church was welcoming. We saw growth. We grew roots. There was gospel clarity and focus. Our liturgy of how we function in a gathering together took place and, and, and we systemized that. We grew in our resources, our family ministry. It was spirit-led and spirit-filled. We were still young, but yet we were maturing. We had zeal. We were pursuing wisdom. There was an intimate desire for God amongst our people. It was real. It was authentic. There were groups that began to grow. There was ministry progress. It was exciting evangelism was happening. We were living on mission. And as we read this, that's exciting, right? To read and look at, and not that we're not there still, but when we got to this point where COVID shut our country down within a week, what, what came to the board when we, when we went to this, next we move on to 600. When we get to 600, what are the things that described our church in that season? And this is just from our staff. I'm sure some of us felt this. I cried. Maybe I'm a baby, but it made me cry to sit there and look at what we lost when the church was not together. Instead of community, we were alone. Instead of closeness, we were separated. Instead of growth, we lacked. Instead of memory focus, we lost our zeal. A ministry focus, we lost our zeal. We had a loss of excitement. And we had the greatest desire just to be together again. We just wanted to be with our church. We didn't care what it looked like, obviously. Yeah, I still got the keys to Lee High School. Don't tell anybody that. I know Jasmine's in here. I still got the keys and all the time, I'm like, dude, I know we can set it up. I miss it. But, but it has nothing to do with location. It's the togetherness. It's being together. There's a reason that it's a body. There's a reason that it's gathered. And, and we all want to be together, but so many of us have allowed that season to create rhythms of separation in our life. One of the most important things that we have is time. I know you know that. One of the most important things we have at time is our time. And we have to see the local church as a worthy and fruitful investment of our time. We have to see that being together is good. 
It's a good thing for the church to be together. We have to be together. If you see the church as an obligation, you're wrong. If you see this church as an obligation, you are wrong. And I would tell you to find another church, but I might get in trouble. So just come back and try to fix it next week. When it becomes a job, when it becomes a hassle, when it becomes a burden for us to be together with the body of Christ, to come into a place that forces us to turn the world off, a place that proclaims biblical truth through song, joins us to each other and to God in prayer. It brings our mind to ponders the highs and the depths of truth, divine and supernatural things happen when the church is gathered together. And if you don't see it, you need to become a new creature. You need to step back and you need to become made new or you need to start living like it because God's design is to be together. If you are the ecclesia, you are a new together, you are a new creation and we are to be together. The last thing as we, as I try to finish this up, the last thing, it is the most important. It is the greatest. It is how we enter into this present age. It is how we move into this age of ecclesia and this this intermediate realm, it is how we'll be carried into eternity. It is the foundation, it is the cornerstone, it is the builder, it is the manufacturer of the church. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. And that's what it's all about. That is what this church is all about. And Paul sees him as the head of the body, the ultimate shepherd. And it is through the work of Jesus, again, that we will enter into Ecclesia, it is through the work of Jesus and his spirit that we function and that we live as new creations. It will be through his triumphant return that we eternally live with him. So if God's plan, you guys can come on up. Um, we're gonna wrap this up. If God's plan, let's step back. If God's plan is to bring about his kingdom and the foundation of his means in doing that is through his son, Jesus Christ. He's come. Guys, the kingdom of God is coming. The garden is growing. What do you see? That's what Paul saw. What do you see? What does it look like to you? How do you experience it? How do you live in this place? Do you see we have an ability to be within the presence of God. Do you see yourself as a gardener working and plowing and laboring to build about his garden? If you don't see that, and if that's just nebulous to you, that's okay. There's hope. There's Jesus. And you have an ability today through common communication with the God who created you to say, I believe that. Or maybe that's a little strange, but I wanna believe that. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe. Give me the heart to believe. Would I trust you? Would I follow you? And allow me to take a step in obeying you that you would be my Lord, that you would be my God and that I would live in that way. And today, through prayer, you would become a new creation. How awesome is that? And for some of us, for some of us, we walk as new creations carrying backpacks of dead things. We walk this life as new creations carrying backpacks filled with dead things. We take them all around with us, still looking at the same stuff, still talking about the same stuff, still with the same desires that you did as a dead thing, the same hopes and ambitions, 
And what we need to do as new creation is we need to allow that apocalypse and that revelation to explode and to further and to take place. And there might be seriousness that needs to happen around our faith, around your faith today. Um, I know we go to work. You don't consider this work. Um, Maybe as we are talking about our framework and our perspectives. uh, um, That's nice. Let me settle into that. <laughs> Maybe as Monday morning, you go to work, you get up and it's like, here we go again. And your mind is set. You know, you, what, I don't know what it looks like for you to go to work, but whatever you do, you do it. And if you wear a suit, that's cool. And you go to work and you have a desire to go and get stuff done and you do it. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday usually is what it looks like can we sort of shift and can this be a place we come to to get work done? Can we get ready to come into this place? Eternal work is serious, much more serious than a Monday through Friday, a nine to five or something that is gonna pay a pension or your payroll. Your soul is way more valuable than that. Prepare to come into this place and do work. Like, let's get work done when we come here. More than just serving on guest services, more than playing in a band. Let's come here and do the work that is necessary to tend to our soul, to to walk out as a new creation, to walk as a new creation, to cut off the dead parts, those that keep us from fully living as new creations and from seeing and being used to bring about God's kingdom. Let me pray. God, thank you for this. I love it. (laughs) Lord, I love it. I don't know what this looks like or means to anybody else, but from a child to his father, I love it. And that you'd use me, that you'd call me, that you'd equip me, that you'd put those around me to do it with me, that your spirit would come near my dead heart and my broken desires and fix them. You'd stir me and woo me to see things that bring you glory and that bring you honor. I don't know why you do it, God, but it's grace. And I don't have the words to describe it, to make my heart connect to my head, but I don't have to because you're doing it. And so I rest in that. Give me the mind and the eyes to see you as Paul saw you, to see your kingdom as Paul saw your kingdom. I'd be half of the faith that that man had to love you and to serve you, God, to come after you. Would this church come after you in the design and the way that you spoke when you said you would build your church? Would this look like the church that you wanna build? Would we look like that, God? Give us eyes to see it and know what we are supposed to do. Make the dead things new. Bring those new creations about, God. And would we be serious to do the work to put away that that needs to be put away, not carry it out of this place, Would we not carry that? What foolish thing that would be to keep walking as a dead thing. Would we not do that? Help us. In your name, we all say, amen. To learn more about the District Church and for ways to give to further resources like this, visit thedistrictchurch.com.